You're listening to Charge, a CCS podcast. Hey, y'all, this is Chad Dirksy. Uh, you're listening to the podcast called Charge. Uh, it's, a, it's a part of Chattanooga Christian School where we hope to help families see behind the scenes of what we do and why we choose to do it. Uh, today, we're going to talk some about mental health and social emotional well-being, uh, some of the challenges that the particularly young people face in this particular day and age. And with me is um, three friends, and I'm going to go around and have them introduce themselves. Uh, and, and while you tell uh, the audience who you are, make sure you tell them what you do as well. So let me start over here with Courtney. Hi, I'm Courtney Carland. I am back again. Um, but in my sec, I have two roles here. I teach Bible for ninth graders, and I also work in the Office of Spiritual Care and Worship to provide social and emotional and mental health care for our students. I'm Travis Hutchinson. I'm the director of the Office of Spiritual Care and Worship, and related, though not, not immediately apparent how, I'm also the sponsor of the CCS Surfing Program. Hi, I'm Joan Voss, and I'm the Director of Academic and College Counseling here at CCS, and I've been here a long time. I've been um, at all different levels, but primarily the depth and breadth of my experiences with the high school, and been a school counselor here for a long time. So it's a great group of folks that do an awful lot for our students, um, and, and in addition to that, also support faculty and staff and administration in, in thinking through the underlying root causes of anxiety and stress and how do we serve and care for our students. So I'm really, really grateful for them. Uh, Travis, I know you'd probably rather talk about the surf club, which I'm sure people uh, would love to know about at CCS, and maybe we'll have to do a separate podcast about that later. And if you were in the room at the recording, you'd have seen his face light up when I just said a separate <laughs> podcast about the surf club. But since that's not what we're talking about, I'd love you to kind of explain the, the idea of the Office of Spiritual Care and Worship. What is that? Um, and, and, and there's a couple pieces of that. Don't talk as much about the chapel side, but at least explain that. But focus on what we do to support students, uh, as Courtney described a bit earlier. Yeah, so the part that we're not going to talk about today is, is chapel. So um, our office is in charge of worship in the upper school. So we have chapel for middle school and high school um, but in addition to that, we have spiritual care, which is we're looking after the spiritual, emotional, uh, mental, social needs of young people at CCS. And that primarily uh, comes around three things. One is that we do um, uh, kind of crisis work, um, you know, evaluation for, you know, what kind of situation really needs some immediate intervention. I mean, occasionally we have students who are struggling with thoughts of self-harm and other kinds of situations like that. Uh, we also, we work with the mental health professionals that are working with our kids so we can provide support at school. And sometimes there's circumstances with that where their academics need some level of accommodation. And then finally, we're available for kids in their kind of social and life events. I mean, you know, life is hard. Uh, they have people close to them die. Um, all kinds of things can happen. And we want to kind of specifically be there to support them and care for them. Yeah, one of the things we talked about in the last two episodes, episode four and five, was the role that we want parents to play 
uh, in the lives of the school relative to things like dinner conversations that spur are spurred on by conversations that happen in a Bible class. We want to invite parents into those discussions and how important that is really in the experience in the teaching and learning at CCS, we want parents involved in that. So part of what Travis brings up is the way we interact with the family in these crisis moments, but also um, with clinical mental health professionals and, and engage with them in ways that essentially allow the same things that are happening there to be carried forward uh, in school. So there isn't an incongruence between what a parent and a mental health counselor is working on and what we're working on in school. But but that means we get to see a lot of students in individual one-on-one situations. That's not only in, in the realm of the Office of Spiritual Care and Worship, but Joan will talk about how that actually impacts academic counselors because those folks are also trained to, to be able to engage in some of these areas. So we have multiple layers. But maybe y'all could help me. What are the types of things that you're seeing? We hear often about the increase in anxiety and stress, particularly in young people in this day and age. And I'll be honest, it does appear as if there's something to that. I mean, many of us have been in Christian schools for a while, and we didn't have these levels of services for students, and now we do. So that's not that's not simply adding services. There was a need that, that demonstrated uh, itself, and, and that's why we added those services. So tell me, what, what kinds of things are you seeing when, when a student comes to see you or there's a crisis that presents itself or just those life events? What are the types of things that you're seeing on a more regular basis, the patterns that you're seeing across the spectrum of students that you see? Um, I would say for sure you mentioned anxiety, and I think that is certainly on the rise. Um, I was listening to a woman, Sissy Goff, in Nashville, and she has been in the counseling practice for 30 years. And she said that it used to be maybe one in eight that she was seeing with anxiety. And right now it's about one in three um, with anxiety. I think that's really true. That feels true of what I'm seeing. Uh, and I work in the high school. So um, that felt, that resonates with me. And I think before the pandemic, it was about one in four. So definitely a lot of anxiety. Um, I started at CCS in January 2020. So my I've only experienced pandemic life here. Um, but I, I think especially in the fall when we returned back to in-person, I think um, we were doing a lot of suicidal assessments and, um, and yeah, depression. And I think this, the quarantine itself was really hard on students and this the not knowing what they can expect. And uh, the rug just feels like it's constantly getting pulled out from under them. And so, yeah, I think they're really experiencing that. Yeah, we're noticing even at the retreat, we talked to some of the students, the counselors did before we left, it just returned from the junior retreat. And uh, a few of our students, more than a few, um, decided the last minute not to attend. It was, um, they were just feeling too anxious. And interestingly, uh, one of the counselors walked in as the students um, pulled away on the buses uh, yesterday morning and said, you know, it's interesting. I thought we would have, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait for a break. Or I kind of dread this, you know, just I'm going to do this. But it was anxiety. Um, A lot of students were feeling anxious. And we, you know, we lost at least one who went home um, struggling with that. They've spent a year, first of all, it's difficult anyway. Second of all, they've spent a good year and a half. Not They've just missed out on that social development, and it's key at this age. So I've been doing this for 30 years, and there's always been social and emotional struggle. Um, but I just see it ramped up um, to a place where they're not quite sure where to go with that anxiety. Um, how do, how do I define who I am? Where do I fit? 
um, it's it's definitely on the rise. So lots of tears even in the past week. Um, connection to masks, um, not masks. Um, where I'm going on this retreat, I'm going away for fall break. School is hard. Academics is hard. I have, I have tons of tests. Um, how do I fit? What's important? There's lots of questions out there, um, and they're just not quite sure where to go with them. Yeah, I think one of the things that's going on is that it, this isn't all COVID. It isn't all the pandemic. It's about this has sucked up the last bit of emotional margin that they had. And there were lots of things as precursors that kind of set this up. I mean, our kids are spending more time online, less time outside. There, There's all kinds of things that have kind of set them up for this. But then we get to, you know, the pandemic, which really emphasizes their lack of control, their lack of agency. Other people are making decisions for them. Um, their social interactions have decreased. Um, their you know, constantly, you know, being asked to do certain things that are very, very different. It's just unsettling. And so now their ability, when you add normal life things to that, it just kind of pushes them over the edge. So, you know, different types of school stressors that in the past would have just caused them to say, oh, this is a tough time. They're now actually coming apart. And and these these things, it's not a matter of simply, well, you know, try try harder, buckle down. We actually have a limit to how much stress we can endure. And so it's about, you know, then us intervening and often, you know, getting them other resources, partnering with their churches, their parents, and, you know, figuring out ways that they can fill their tank um, at the same time as learning how to moderate how much is coming out of the tank, right? So we're trying to do both of those things at the same time. And, uh, yeah, they're in a tender place. And I think adults are too. And to get them connected, we've been doing a lot of school counselors working when they come in with stresses about academics, trying to get them connected with the clubs and those kinds of experiential sorts of things that do increase, you know, because they, they tend to want to talk with adults. They've spent two years talking to adults, their family, um, and we're trying to encourage them to, to move out beyond that and make those connections because they're just uncertain about it. it. It just feels, it's tough anyway, and then when you have that time away, it's strange to come back to it. Yeah, and these are spiritual struggles. I mean, it's you know about connecting with other people. That's fundamentally about what it means to be in the body of Christ, to believe that, um, that if I enter into a group of people um, and I'm in a tender place, that I'm going to meet Christ's grace and love in the midst of that. And also believing in the promises, right? We I mean, the, the truth is that we, because of the fall, we actually don't have everything we need. We have broken responses. And, um, and so, you know, we're not enough, and Christ is enough, and believing that the answers lie outside of ourselves in a relationship with Christ, and actually learning how to put feet to that, right? Oftentimes, as Christians, we live with theoretical belief, and we don't put feet to our beliefs. And kind of what's going on in our culture is you know, calling us as Christians to learn how to, how do I actually live in God's promises with all of these things going on? Yeah, I think it's helpful um, to, to hear just unfiltered, right? What are the things that we're actually dealing with? It's hard. I mean, if I'm listening to this on the other end, I'm like, oh no, what are we going to do? And I think that has to be a big part of our conversation, even as we talk today, just in this limited time in a podcast. All right. Okay. 
that's it. That's true. Those things are there. We're dealing with those things. Most people would probably listen to that and say, yeah, I can identify that. I see that in my child. I see that in their friends. So the question is, right, okay, then where do we go from here? Part of that is we, we, we want our students to not withdraw from those community circumstances because that's hardwired into our DNA to be part of a community. Um, and we experience the grace of God in and through community in a way that can't be replaced by anything else. You can't, you can't get that, that part of your tank filled up by something that isolates you from other people. So, so help me understand practically, what do we do about that? Right. What are the, what are the things we're trying to do either in the, how, how are we encouraging kids when we have those conversations? What are the strategies that should be considered? What can a parent take away from this and say, these are the things I ought to consider for my child if they're, if they're in these types of circumstances. I think it's really important to think about um, the fact that avoidance always feeds anxiety. And so anytime that we av- we feel anxious about something, if I have a presentation in class or something like that, a test tomorrow, I my anxiety is going to scream to avoid that. Your student's anxiety is going to scream, avoid that. And But if they avoid it, they will get short-term relief. But long-term, they have to take the test. They have to give the presentation go to the thing the next time. And so actually their anxiety will be increased because they've avoided it. And so I think it's really helpful to think about the fact, um, like the way that psychology thinks about anxiety and the way that the culture thinks about anxiety, there's probably like a Grand Canyon in between them. (laughs) And that anxiety is not all bad. It's actually a really helpful and adaptive emotion for us. Um, But I, I usually tell students it's kind of like a smoke detector in your house. And if you have a smoke detector in your house, like you want it to alert you to danger. If there's a fire in your house, you want it to tell you there's a fire. But if you burned a bag of popcorn, you don't want your smoke detector to go off. And so sometimes our students, their smoke detector goes off, which is really their amygdala, this part of their brain that's like the fight, flight, or freeze response. And they're in geometry class, but it's all good. And so if... If it's not alerting them to real danger, if you're in the in the road and somebody comes in your lane, you want it to alert you to danger. But if you're in geometry class and you're just trying to get through math and it's going off, then that is a really good time for some interventions. For you to do deep breathing is a really great intervention that we, we will work with students on often um, or slow and rhythmic walking. And there's a lot out there about that, but I think those are some really good interventions. And then I think as parents, like to unintendedly like anxiety is an it's an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of yourself and so so the problem has become very big in your head and you have become very small like I can't handle this and so that's what's happening when you feel anxious and so parents like if your student doesn't want to take the test tomorrow you want to rescue them like I feel this like I did not have these children there I don't you know but I love them dearly and they're in my office like Miss Carolyn get me out you know And I want to do that. But I think if I say, hey, you don't have to take the test today, then I'm communicating, hey, you actually can't handle this test. I don't think you can do it. And so for parents, like I have to think about this and know that in my office and for parents to think that too, like, no, go ahead, take the test. If you fail it, we'll figure it out. Like just show up. Sorry, I've talked for a long time. (laughs) No, you didn't. I was just laughing. I thought if I could give some just levity to the situation. Um, My daughter, Kate, back when... um, you know, we, we tend to be high performing in our 
family and I have a type A personality and um, perfectionist. And so, you know, we all kind of come by it that the kids have seen this modeled. And so um, early on, um, I think I've listened to one other of these podcasts and so names could be mentioned, but uh, these kids are 20 now. Uh, But when they were about eight or nine, Stephanie Gady was uh, my daughter, Kate's really good friend. And, um, you know, they ran this elementary track program to get together and and, you know, Stephanie could run faster than Kate, and that just frustrated her, you know, like, oh, she'd come home and she'd get all anxious before the before the track meets, and then she was like, and Stephanie's smarter and prettier and skinnier, you know, starting at nine and ten years old, and I thought, man, this is so much pressure she's put on herself, so I thought, how have I myself dealt with this? And there are physiological responses that happen, like, in, in college, and just in my first few years of teaching, that high, like taskless person, that type A personality, it really begins to impact your sleep, the way you feel about yourself, anxiety attacks. We have students who are suffering those. So one of the things that, um, you know, besides understanding that God's given me gifts and to use those, I thought, how do I transfer this to my child, this sense of perspective? So I said, dear Lord, Thank you for Stephanie Gady. She's smarter and prettier, and that's okay. And there's always going to be someone smarter and prettier. And and we're just so thankful for Stephanie Gady. So we could just learn that right away, that that there's always going to be somebody. But thank you for Kate and her beautiful gifts. And these are the things I see about you. And we all laughed about that. We just had a really, um, and so we've always said, dear Lord, thank you for Stephanie Gady. That's been an ongoing joke in our family to help us to remember to keep perspective uh, that we have these gifts and there are always going to be people out there that outperform us. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. You know, part of what's going on with our young people is they're learning, you know, they're learning patterns for living. And so, you know, the question is what, what do we want them to experience when they're experiencing anxiety? So they, they come into the office, they, they talk about here is this thing that is overwhelming to me. And we're, we're going to talk to them about coping mechanisms, ways that they can you know, care for themselves, right? Give them a sense of agency, but also speak God's promises into their life to pray with them, to walk with them, and then allow them to do that scary thing and experience victory, right? And then so now what's happened? Now I realize when I feel anxiety, I can go to the Lord. I can go to, you know, people in the body of Christ who love me. I can experience victory, you know, and so that's, that's part of what we're seeking to do here. And sometimes the, um, the stress kind of overwhelms the ability for them to think it through. And we do end up with, you know, we've had kids who've had eating disorders, who've really struggled with thoughts of self-harm. And in, a, in that moment, we're making referrals, partnering with their parents. But we even want that to be a good experience for them, right? I shared something that was very difficult, and I felt very ashamed and very scared. And the result was I was loved and I was cared for. And so, you know, to learn that pattern, because as adults, we need to know that. We need to know that there are people who love us, who will care for us, that God will meet us even when we feel like our world is coming apart. Yeah, and some of that too, right, is the adults in our world sometimes have to say, you know what, that's a good point, right? So part of anxiety is we overstate the problem and we understate our capacity but some of it is sometimes the adults in our world just didn't get it right. We, we've been dealing with um, some challenges, particularly for seniors, as they're juggling their curricular work, their, their college applications, a capstone project that's new to CCS. And, and one of the things we learn when we hear about those things from students, it's not just 
to help give coping mechanisms to our students. It's we as adults learn, hey, as we hear that perspective, we, we know there's some things we need to work on. There might be some things we need to shift. And when we give them that opportunity, right, to go engage in that way, they're not just seeing people love and care for them. They're also seeing adults saying, oh, you know, you're right. That didn't really work. And, and we're going to try this this time. And it, it becomes normal and natural to say we didn't get it right. Because otherwise we're just saying, yeah, okay, go take that test. And if you fail, it's okay. But my that F still shows up on my report card. But if they see adults that can also say in the midst of that, thank you for telling me that. You have a reason to be concerned about that. And look, here's the change that we're going to make because there's some things we need to throw to the middle to fix this too. Right, That gives a picture of the way right, the body of Christ should be throwing things together as, as we understand the way we're reconciled to each other in those contexts. So it is, I'm going to be loved even when I have to share things about myself I don't want people to know. It's also going to be, hopefully, they see adults say, yeah, you're right about that, and, and we can help with that. Yeah? Is that yeah. kind of it? No, I think that's important because, like here, if any of us need someone as an advocate, right, we go to Renee, who is, you know, the director of human resources, and and I think for both academic guidance and for the Office of Spiritual Care, we function as advocates for the students. Um, and that is, you know, that's occurred multiple times, right? Because we have a window into a part of the, a young person's life that maybe an instructor doesn't have or, or somebody creating a system doesn't have. And so I think that's important. I think we all need, I mean, Christ is our advocate. The Spirit is the advocate. And we should embody that at the same time and not say... I mean, that's the thing. I talk with students and say, um, you know, right now you're experiencing this stress and school can either be very helpful or harmful, right? School can be helpful in that it gives you a chance to get your mind off of this difficult event for a time. But it also could be that it's overwhelming. And I'll have this conversation. I'll say, we need to figure out where that line is because we may need to get you some space. And, and we'll do that. And that way the student says, oh, okay, you know, there, if I can't do it, if I get to the limit, yes, there will be some space for me. Yeah, after 30 years of doing this, I think one of the biggest questions in my mind, this is more of a question than an answer, is how do we reduce the noise that these kids are hearing from the world about you need to apply to these 20 highly selective colleges, even though there are 4,200 of them out there and our students easily get into 4,100 of them, you know, or 4,000 of them at least, somehow we've, we've, we've bought into this noise and this lie that you're, you're who you are and, and, and the success you're going to experience in life um, is, is tied to the certain something that the world tells us it is. And so we, how do we fill them with a grace-filled message? Because I would say after five, six years of, you know, spending time, just couldn't get out of my head with just this over-the-top anxiety with this type A personality. I'll tell you what really came back to me. My childhood, I'm so grateful. I was just filled up with the grace of the Lord in my life, like <laughs> probably too much because I was doing some probably things that I shouldn't have been doing, but I was like, you know what? God forgives me. He loves me. And uh, that really carried me um, in those moments. And so I just, I work with students and, and parents to say, how do we keep perspective? How do we minimize the noise and how do we fill your life with grace? 
when we make mistakes, and please let's not tie our grades or our athletic performance or our theater performance to our, our, our spirituality. God loves us. He loves us, and he loves us. It, it does not matter how we're performing in school. That was a shock to me when a colleague of mine told me that um, she experiences. I said, what, what kids would feel bad about their spiritual state if they just didn't perform well in a volleyball game? You know what? And, and this adult colleague said, oh, I do that. If I don't perform well in my job, I, I feel kind of bad about, like, God must be disappointed in me. And um, I feel sad that some of our students have that connection, and I think we just need to cover them up with grace. Yeah, it's. I, I think that we've we've talked about the, the the impact of pandemic, right, and the separation that creates, and the the way that's that's removed margin we have to be able to deal with hard things. We've talked about even things like college applications and the pressure that gets felt there, and we've talked about normal everyday life. Um, and, and now Joan's rightfully saying, how do we limit the noise? I was watching, um, I can't remember, maybe it would have been 60 Minutes, was was talking about on Sunday night that, that Facebook, the company that owns Instagram, has data that says Instagram actually does harm to the mental health and social well-being of young people. And, and I think about that in reference to Joan saying, how do we eliminate the noise? Now, I'm not anti-social media and you shouldn't have it and everyone should turn off their computers and phones all the time. That's not what I'm suggesting. But maybe since you've been a little quiet, Courtney, you can yeah. say, you know, what is that? What, 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 how in the world would a software platform, an app, have any influence whatsoever on my mental and social emotional health? And what do we do about that? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what to do about it, but I will at least... <laughs> get us started. Um, I think that one, I think it provides a lot of time to feel like we're together, but we're actually alone. <laughs> and so we feel like we're really together with other people, but students are really often in their rooms or on online and feeling somewhat connected, but also very disconnected. Um, I also think that we tend to, especially like on Instagram platforms like that, we post kind of our highlight reel, but we compare like our behind the scenes to other people's highlight reel. And so we're, you know, you might be at home crying on your couch, but you see everybody else is having the best time of their life. And it looks like it isolates you even further. It feels like I'm so alone and no one else feels this way. And I, I tell students this, but I really believe like that is the main, one of the main lies that Satan uses is that you're the only one who feels this way and no one else has ever felt this way. And I think it prevents us from sharing and from being vulnerable with other people and saying, this is where I'm at. This is how I feel. I also think uh, like over the pandemic, eating disorders were on the rise. And one of those dynamics, I was listening to a psychologist who was talking about one of the reasons she thought, and not the whole, but one reason, is that students, they get to go to class and they get to check real life against what they see online. But when they were isolated during the pandemic, they didn't actually get to do that check. So you can make yourself look however you want in a picture. Um, but then they saw, oh yeah, she actually looks like this. Like that's not reality. But they didn't get to check that. And then it it kind of further like furthered that like negative thoughts about themselves and, and the control. Um, so I think really like we, yeah, we look online and we think that that's reality. And I think it really is harming for our students. You know, if that connects to what you were saying with avoidance, I think, because then what happens is you fill your mind up with what I'm not 
And then when it comes to that time to have that connection and that community, like at a junior retreat, we're going to avoid it because you're like, I, there's no way I can have that kind of relationship that I see posted all over Instagram. You know, I can't, I, I won't be able to have that. I just, I can't even see that happening. Um, so giving them vision for what it can look like if they do overcome it, um, it seems like that's harder to do if Instagram and TikTok fun, TikTok videos, oh, shit, this greatest TikTok video, you know, like, look at this one, it's great. So, you know, they, um, the people that can put themselves out there and look good on those things, it's harder for other people, and then there's this avoidance thing that seems to happen. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. There's also, you know, the, the fundamental way that this is set up is through the accumulation of likes and views, and so, you know, if somebody puts an image of themselves and people are liking it, it reinforces the idea that our value is linked to our appearance, to our images. And so, you know, whereas maybe a generation ago, if a guy approached a girl and said, give me a picture of yourself with no clothes on, she would just be horribly offended. Like, that's just the worst thing you could ask. But now we've turned it into like this method of social exchange. And so people are, you know, they're asking, this is like the rise of sexting, is that it's become like a, a part of the commodity in the in what's taking place in relationships and so you know to place our value you know you were talking before about your daughter and you know her struggling through our her parents we've always done that i mean human history has always done that but it has been ramped up to an extremely high level and like you're talking about courtney and then it it uh if you pair that with isolation it becomes our reality this is how kids kill themselves over social media. The social, the social media interactions become reality. And when we bring students into healthy community, and especially if that's really close community, like the kind that's produced in a sports team, in theater. In a surf club. In a surf club. I was going there. I was, how'd you know that? Um, that it, it breaks down that, that understanding like, oh, I am more than all of this. And what, that's really... When I, when I was, I'm going to date myself. When I was a kid, I used to watch uh, um, Mutual of Omaha, the Wild Kingdom, right? And uh, and so you would always, you know, it's always like the out on the plains of Africa, and there's always a there's a herd of antelope, and you you always see one that's trailing out, and you're like, that one's going to get it from the lion. That one is, you know, and and in the Bible it says that Satan is like a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He goes after the ones who are isolated as part of the evil one's plan is to isolate us. And so to the extent that anything isolates us from others, it becomes part of Satan's plan. He goes because it's in our community, in our relationships with one another, those lies get torn down and we, we experience God's truth and grace. Yeah, we've said this before at the at the foundational level of of who we want to be as a school. It's helping students understand this beautiful redeeming grace that is not only reconciling our relationship with God. It's not only giving a right relation a right status before God. So even in the mess, you know, we can say our heavenly Father is pleased with us. It's also reconciling relationships with each other not just for the purpose of having us feel good, but for the pragmatic benefits of being able to be engrafted back into these communities where we, we get to experience a reality that is it's substantive and it's real and it's not isolated. And we're restoring that relationship with creation. And we've talked about that even in the type of work that we do. Um, but I, but I think 
those are those are really interesting things to talk about. Um, how does that foundation? We are bearers of God's image. We are made for community and and for purpose. How does that shape the way that we encourage and speak into the lives of our students who are struggling, who are who have anxiety? How does that real foundation? Because that that's what would make us as a faith based school different right, than you would experience someplace else. How does who we are as a bearer of his, of his image and who we are meant to be in the abundance of community in the same way as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, how does that shape the way we speak into these situations specifically? I know that's a, that's a really narrow question, but anybody want to answer that? Well, I was just thinking about with social media and the idea, I have students come in my office all the time and will tell me about a painful text message they received or something that they got on a DM on Instagram and they will say, they acknowledge like they only said that because it wasn't in person. Like you can be much harsher when it's online. And so a practical thing too is encouraging students. I mean, we are broken people in a community together for four years in high school. And so relationships get really, um, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of friction. And so encouraging them not to, solve it over text message or just to cut people off. But even just in our, the way that we encourage students through conflict is really like talk to them in person. Like here's some very practical tips, like um, own what you can own and then respond back, you know, things like that, like using I language instead of you language, like different things like that to help our students in this training ground that I think they really are in to even deal with conflict so that we can do this thing of rupture and repair and learn how to be in community with each other. I think that can be really practical to help them say like, Hey, don't deal with this through Instagram. Don't deal with this over text message. Like do this in person if you can, if not on a phone, just so that you can see your words hit that person's face and for you to be able to engage in person with them. Um, I think that's like, yeah, just one practical way that came to mind. Well, I think is something that's distinctive to CCS in terms of being able to say, certainly Christians don't have the lock on hope, um, but we certainly do um, hopefully feel that deep inside of who we are as we um, move forward. It's a it's a worldview. And so um, just giving these kids hope um, to go forward um, and just take a look at what's around them and their, their resources in the Lord and their teachers who are believers, um, that's that would be my prayer. I mean, I, I think it's a hard question. I don't know that we, I think we struggle, having been here 30 years, we struggle to look different than the school down the street, um, right? So we do offer those things, as do other schools, those um, using the I language instead of the we language, and yet wit, I know that we're doing more. I see it, and that's what I love about the faculty at CCS, um, that they are portraying and who they are and the words they're using. I hope um, that our kids, I think so many of them who are adults now would say, you know, they may not put it in those words, but just this understanding and that hope that we have in the Lord. Yeah, one of the things, um, we're not in the, both in the Department of Spiritual Care and Worship or in the Department of Academic Guidance we're not trying to be the ones, oh, your needs aren't being met, and so we're going to be here and meet your needs. That That's not what we do. What we do is we um, walk with the student back to the place where their needs are being met. We're seeking to restore their connections, whether it's something's broken down in a class and we want to help restore that connection there, or whether it's, I mean, we've 
we've talked about things with churches, trying to restore them to their relationship to the church, restoring them to relationships in their friend groups, um, restoring them to relationships with their family. We've helped facilitate difficult conversations. And so it's, it's about reconnecting them with the community, not us being what they need, us walking with them back to what they need. So you're saying that restoration is a component that you would think looks different here at CCS, the, the restoration piece as we work with students? Yeah, I mean, the, not only the restoration piece, but the, the way that the restoration is accomplished. You know, one of the things we do is we use uh, some of the peacemaker language, you know, Ken Sandy's um, book, The Peacemaker, which has turned into like multiple curricula. Um, but to take people through the process of restoration, forgiveness, learning, understanding, you know, Christ has forgiven us, therefore I forgive others, learning how to ask for forgiveness, grant forgiveness, live in grace, right? I mean, just because we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, we still need to understand how to actually walk through that. And so part of what we're doing is taking the time to walk through some of that with, um, with the students and bring them into that restoration and that really deep restoration that can happen when it is when it happens within the gospel yeah and i think uh, i keep coming back to while we don't have the corner on the market as believers in jesus christ in hope there are other things to be hopeful of god's made this beautiful creation and and it's not just people who know jesus that have any sense of hope but in one sense we should lead the world in hopefulness um, because we, we know that ultimate battle for the things that are most important has already been won. That doesn't mean we don't live uh, in a not-yet world where we still face brokenness, but we're getting up every day to, to put one foot in front of the other in a world where we know Jesus has already accomplished what needs to be done to restore those right relationships fully uh, one day. And I, I, I do think that that ought to be a distinctive of a place like CCS is in the middle of that all. We still point ourselves back to that. It, it also serves as a governor, right, in a sense, for how worked up we get about whatever is happening in the world. And I, and I think about the, this, the, the great strategies of whether it's I, I versus you language or it's don't do this over text or direct message. I have to be reminded when I hear that, 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 young people are watching me as an adult and and sometimes they're modeling the way they use social media and what they draw from social media is a direct result not only of social media but what they see their the adults in their lives that are their mentors sometimes their parents I, I have to say that about what i've done with my own children yeah you shouldn't have your room your phone in your room at night because you don't want to wake up at 10 o'clock at night if you've gone to sleep that early, you don't want to wake up and look at your social media. That's a bad thing. And then I take my phone uh, into my room at night. And what do I do when I can't fall asleep? I look at social media. And, and the point is, how do we as adults then also say, we need to check ourselves and ask ourselves, are we modeling behaviors during these times that are more stressful? What are, what are the patterns that we've demonstrated in front of our children whether it's a reaction to having to wear a mask or a reaction when we don't wear a mask and that reaction is emotional and it's strong and it's stress-filled, what is that actually modeling to our children in those circumstances? Does that play any role at all? Or is it just me that feels guilty and shame about that and I'm the only one that should worry about it? Help me out with that, will you? I mean, I think 
I think that it's more powerful for my children when I've asked them for their forgiveness and admitted that I was wrong than all of the things that I kind of patted myself on the back for doing right. Because generally those things that I did right become like vehicles for my own self-righteousness, just um, because that's in my heart. It just produces that. But when I've gone to my kids and said, I really blew it, like that was really wrong, please forgive me. And I think that's important. And I I think it's important for us as staff members, as teachers, as, you know, when a person who has more power humbles themselves to someone who has less power. I think there's something intensely gospel about that because it says, I'm not my own king. Jesus is my king. And I, I have done wrong by him, even though I have the power to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately a foretaste of, of Jesus's redeeming grace, right? The person with the most power, the king of all kings, condescended to be like us. Um, that really is saying you're, you're living an image of what Jesus has actually done in those circumstances. But I also think I wouldn't want to put on parents or myself, you know, be the end that you want for your kids, right? Because the pressure of that, like, we're going to fail, and so instead, it's we're on this journey to the heavenly kingdom together, and you know we're we're struggling through it, and you're struggling through it, and during this time, we're here for you in the midst of that, and you're going to see some of our victories and and some of our just abject failures, and uh, but and hopefully you're going to learn from them. But I, I want to I don't want to put. Um, I don't know this perfectionistic thing because I I felt that before, especially with my first child. Like I mean, we're gonna I'm gonna do all this. I was gonna ra- I'm gonna raise a bilingual child. Um, you know this this child is gonna watch. Like even though it wasn't perfect spirituality in my home before um, we had my first child, it's gonna be perfect afterwards. And of course, all of that is just a fantasy, right? It's we're broken people, and so I think that our kids need to see that. And I think the most important thing is for us to be open and admit our failures to our kids so that they learn that they can go to God for grace in the midst of that. And so that my kids, if I break a technology rule, they're like, hey, Dad, and I'm like, you're right. Yeah, our performance, um, we we talk about in our home, if we, we blow it in, um, as parents, and so we at times will say, um, you know, it's it's we talk to each other about this the weaknesses that we're willing to admit with sincere like and we blew it like um i'd have to say i never really know where my phone is so um you know i work a little bit more than my kids will want me to so i'm in front of my computer but um you know like if, if my husband shows up at the dinner table with his phone in hand you know the kids are quick to um you know, remind them of that. So I guess what I'm saying is we've said, how could our children approach us if we're always the performing at our best and always modeling the best? If we can't go before them and say, man, we really messed up. Yeah, we watched a little bit too much Netflix or whatever. You know, um, that in that weakness is where they feel like they can come to us because if we're always perfectly strong and, and we've got that performance thing down pat, then we miss those opportunities with our kids. So. Yeah, I um I don't have children. I do have a very cute puppy. So if that counts. What's um, his name? His name is Teddy and I'm obsessed with him. But I so I don't have children, but I um often when I'm sitting with students, I think I will I like 
I always think about the fact that Jesus entered willingly into our suffering and that we get to enter into the suffering of others. And so to think about ourselves as, as wounded healers, really. And so I'm, I am like speaking out of a place of brokenness too. And so when I talk about anxiety, it's not just this theory in my head, but it's, I've had my own anxiety of thinking about what if the worst things happened or having a panic attack before and, and using that to help other students, um, and I, I think that that's a real opportunity for parents to connect with their students in that way and say, hey, I experience anxiety too, or I've had depression, or, and a lot of those things are genetic sometimes, so it's possible that that is the case and is happening. And so instead of saying, I've got this all together, but really just meeting your student in that and saying, I, I don't know exactly, I've struggled with this, and I don't know exactly how to deal with it, but let's get help together. And I think that can be a real point of connection with students. Um, instead of trying to pretend like we have it all together. Yeah, and I, I think that what we've what, what I hope we've communicated here is not that there's a manual or a playbook that when these things arise, there's just a simple solution to these things. What we do believe is it is profoundly relational. Um, that's why we have a whole host of academic counselors and, and people who work in, in supporting students in mental health and, and social emotional well-being. That's why we do that because it does take the connection of those relationships to make that happen. And that is the, the day-to-day stepping into, leaning into our children in ways that they're able to experience our love for them in a way that images the love for Jesus Christ, not that we're going to get it perfect, but bits and pieces at a time, moment by moment, we get a beautiful opportunity to share that with our words and also with our actions. And hopefully that's represented at CCS all over the place. So so those of you that are listening, my hope is again that that you're just hearing a sampling of what of of what your students can experience on a day to day basis. And our encouragement is to have them come talk to us. I think that's one of the most important things. As hard as this is, it's not easy for me to talk to people that I'm struggling with, but breaking that barrier down and actually engaging in that conversation more often than not is going to produce something really formative and really positive to to take the next step. So we're um, we're at the end of our time for this. I'm sure uh, mental health and and social emotional well-being is going to be something we talk about again coming up on podcasts into the future. So this is just the opening salvo for for us to be able to communicate hopefully our heart in this and and the basic steps that we take to try to support our families uh, in these complicated, messy tasks. So thanks for your time. Again, this is the Charge Podcast, part of Chattanooga Christian School. Have a great rest of the day. <music>